This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Snee. Thanks to everyone for joining us. We're on YouTube Live right now, so if you uh, feel so inclined to watch us in the future, you can subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. I will provide a link on Knowles247.com. Christopher, welcome to On the Bench here. We are previewing FSU versus Louisville. Uh, did a little bourbon talk before the show, and uh, let's get into the actual uh, the actual game at hand. Actually, real quick, do you want to tell the people who maybe haven't heard the story of our first road trip together with me at Knowles 24-7? It was at Louisville 2016. I think it's going to be Well, it quickly taught us that we should always fly. Uh, very, very long drive. It poured on the way back and my window started leaking on Sinone. It had never leaked in its existence, never leaked after that day. It was just a random day. Uh, Sinone may have went out and had a few too many party beers the night before the game. And I had to jump a curb to allow our man to, uh, fertilize a yard on the way to Louisville. Fertilize um, a yard implies verbally, like- verbally <laughs> fertilized just so nobody gets the wrong idea about what he was doing in somebody's yard. Um, and yeah, it was 62 to 20 and it was an FSU that scored 62. So not a good day, not a good weekend. Uh, then that drive back also was uh, was a doozy when your car started leaking on me was we were stuck yeah, in, uh, in Chattanooga. Stop yeah. traffic. Miami Dolphins giving up two touchdowns before we moved a mile. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> to Tom Brady. Uh, yeah. So anyways, hopefully this is a little bit of a, a better experience for FSU versus Louisville, although facing Louisville hasn't necessarily been super kind to FSU in recent years. But, yeah, we're just trying to get on the board here, everyone. So FSU's off to an 0-3 start before we get into the uh, the bolts. The, was it the nails and bolts? No, nuts, nuts and, and bolts. bolts nuts, nuts and bolts. And bolts. Uh, you can tell I'm a real handyman over here. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the FSU-Louisville matchup, do a little bit more reflection on some things that we've taken away from this past week, media access, practice access, scoop, intel, all that stuff. Uh, let's start off, Chris. Right now, FSU sitting at 0-3. For you, other than the record, <laughs> what's the most concerning aspect of, of this start? that they're not really doing anything in particular very well. There, There's not a facet of the game where I would point to and say it's a strength or that they performed at a high level. I think running the ball is probably the closest thing to that, and they truthfully struggled doing that some against Wake when it was just hat on hat and they were trying to play straight up. They they did some, you know, miskeep pitches to the outside that they found success with. But in general, they didn't run the ball near as effective against Wake as they had in their prior two games. So I think the biggest concern is that you know, as you work through a season, you kind of figure out the things you can lean on that can be effective and good at. And right now this team lacks those. And that that's concerning for me. I'll get into that in a few minutes with Kenny Dillingham's comments about identity. And, and there's a few Kenny Dillingham comments that, that I want us to kind of evaluate and, and read into. I know how much you love reading into quotes and, and uh, speculating, Christopher. But uh, I do want to provide some insight because that was a big talking point for the fan base this week was Kenny Dillingham's comments and his Monday press conference. Uh, but if I can answer my own question, I threw to you and, and get your thoughts on it. The thing that I guess has shook me 
the most with the O and three star is kind of along the lines of what you mentioned, Chris, with the identity of, of this team and of this offense, uh, really not having a great grasp of it. I think I go back to being concerned with the ability to self evaluate for Florida state. I, I I'm concerned that the coaching staff and, and last year I gave them a big old pass because of the COVID year and whatnot, but uh, yeah, I think they thought the wide receivers, you know, would, would be limited, but but better than what they're at right now. Uh, I don't think they thought they'd have the issues that they've, they're having in the secondary. Those two are kind of co-aligned with the DBs going against these wide receivers. Uh, but then just some of the offensive line depth, I think they thought they were in a better spot than they were, and they've had bad injuries. And now that that weakness is kind of shown. The quarterback management and how those guys have, have handled kind of weaving in and out of of uh, being QB one. I, I just am concerned, Chris, about how the staff has has managed personnel and, and evaluated personnel through the offseason. That's been a little concerning to me. Yeah, you agree? I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think they had expectations for certain guys. You start who you believe you should start based off of practice. That's a simple concept, but that's how football works. And it's abundantly clear that some of the guys that they expected to be valuable basing off of practice have been anything but. And we go back to the secondary the O-line's bad luck to some degree. We knew they weren't a talented bunch, but they've had injuries. They couldn't really afford that. Here we are. So not going to critique that in that sense. But the secondary, yes. Uh, I think the wide receiver's ability is concerning. I think something that's probably emerged for them as they're doing some self-evaluation is other teams' wide receivers are torching FSU's secondary with regularity. You know, second-worst secondary in power five, three DBs among the worst in the country at giving up 20-plus yardage plays. FSU in practice, their wide receivers don't do that. And, you know, going into the season, maybe you think that's a good tit for tat where those two guys are battling at those positions. But you get to the regular season, you realize, uh oh, you know, the DBs for us are struggling and our receivers were not near as effective as other teams' receivers are looking to be against our DBs. So I think that's one of those things you learn because you finally face a new opponent, you see some new faces. And obviously, I'm sure that's a bit of a, I don't want to say panic button moment, but I'm sure it's cause for concern. FSU stunk at winning one-on-ones last year. It was no secret. They spoke about it. They intended to improve in that regard this year. They have not to this point in time. And some of that is the guys they were banking on as infusions in, into the offense. Andrew Parchment uh, had to be a hit in the transfer portal. And to this point, just really hasn't been. He had the touchdown against Notre Dame on, on Jordan Travis's scramble play. That's really it. Was a non-factor against Jacksonville State, and I think maybe played like five to five or six snaps against Wake Forest. So I think his role will increase a little bit this week, but I think he's very much so someone whose whose playing time is going to be contingent on how he practices. There's not going to be any sort of uh, benefit of the doubt for for him, which is a toughie because you're expecting him to be someone who's going to have some big splash games for you and, and win some one-on-one battles. It just hasn't happened. Malik McLean has shown potential. He's still young. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that if we really want to get into the nuts and bolts of it, uh, we we could. But, uh, yeah, we don't want to do a whole referendum on, on everything with the roster right now. Uh, moving forward to, to some things as we try to look ahead of what FSU can do on offense and can you find that quote-unquote identity. You know, uh, it's difficult when you have the injuries that Chris mentioned, the guys aren't winning the one-on-one battles outside quarterback has been unstable due to injuries, other reasons that it's just, that's been in and out kind of deal. So, so I get it. That's difficult. Uh, Kenny Dillingham, I thought was very transparent on Monday when we spoke to him as a journalist, as someone who reports and writes about the team, I'm a big fan of it. I know the fan base was irritated with some of the the revelations or that, that, that he put out there. And I'll say this, 
it doesn't matter what these coaches are going to say at this point. When you're 0-3, everything's going to get picked apart and nothing's going to sound good. It doesn't matter if you do coach speak. It doesn't matter if you come out and be transparent and say, uh, we struggled to run the ball. We just couldn't block them up front. We couldn't block versus a six-man front, or which is something Kenny Dillingham said. Uh, but I want to go into this quote, Chris, that, that I thought stuck out the most to me. Uh, and he talked about some of the injuries and then trying to adjust and adjust to what teams were throwing at them. Uh, he said, quote, I wouldn't say right now, I don't I don't think we have an identity. I think with all the shuffling of injuries or quarterbacks, offensive line shuffling, I don't think we've established a true identity of what we are good at because every week it could be something else. One week we're elite at third and third to one to two. We line up in the Wildcat and score versus Notre Dame. Next week we line up in the Wildcat versus Jacksonville State. Chris, I'm talking about your favorite topic, the Wildcat, and go 0 for 4. So that question is what we're figuring out. What is our identity? What are our strengths? And the change week by week based off availability of guys. Uh, so it's tough, dude. You're, you're three games into a season. You really don't know what you're really good at on offense. And uh, for somebody that was a, a strength of this team last year, they at least knew what they could do with, with running the football with Jordan Travis and, and the running backs. That just doesn't exist this year. I, I don't know. What would you... Where does FSU go to establish some sort of identity? If you were, you know, Coach Chris Nee putting on your hat, your play calling cap, what, what would you do? I would simply try to line up and run the ball and run it a ton and run it with power and run it with heavy lines and putting extra people on the line and try to form that into your identity. And if it doesn't work, then they're back to the drawing board. But I think right now that is a place where you may have your greatest strength. I don't believe the wide receivers nor the passing game as a whole is reliable or consistent enough for them to really do anything. It might be worthwhile to uh, – obviously, FSU is going to try to set up shot plays because that's a way for them to put points on the board. They have executed two of those types to great results in the passing game with two 60-plus yard passes, Ja'Kai Douglas and Pokey Wilson. But they haven't had those near enough. So bring it back in, try to attack the line, try to be more consistent down-to-down – Obviously, you got to quit sabotaging yourself and putting yourself behind the lines. But the truth is, I think we're in a search for answers where there aren't any. If we're just being honest, you're not suddenly going to get better players. You're not suddenly going to get more talented. I do think there are things that the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball certainly needs to do better. They need to understand what personnel to go with, when to go with it, how to go with it, when to stick with the hot hand. Don't worry about running back rotation so much. Use guys when they're being effective, whether it's Trayshawn Ward, Trayshawn Corbin, or another name at that position. Stay with it. Keep riding it. Do that. I wish I did that down the stretch in the Jacksonville State game with Trayshawn Corbin. I wish I got Trayshawn Ward more carries in the game against Wake Forest, for example. Um, but it, at the end of the day, the offense just isn't going to be good. I don't expect it suddenly to become good. They may score more points. They may hit more shot plays and set up more offense, offensive success rate. But we're not going to suddenly see an offense that just clicks and looks really, really good drive to drive. I just don't expect that at this point this year. At some point, and uh, Bud and Ingram talked about this on the Nolcast. I thought it was a good point. And when Kenny said it, it, it kind of resonated with me. And I don't think it's something that stuck with a lot of fans here because they're so mad when, when Kenny talked about teams running man-to-man more often against FSU. And, and, and I pulled up – I was looking at the, the PFF numbers earlier – so Wake Forest this season, they've been in man coverage 43.5% of the time, which is 16th nationally straight straight man coverage. So they've done that a lot more this year than they have in previous years. Uh, but against FSU, specifically last week, 
They ran man coverage 52.9% of the time. That was fifth nationally. Only four teams ran man coverage more often than Wake Forest did against uh, FSU this past week. Yeah, what would the what would that percentage for Wake be in the first two games if you took out the FSU percentage? Is it more like 25? I know I did for, for that. It was the first two weeks. They were still 15. So still at a higher rate okay. than they would normally be. Now, Sorry, if you I thought you were saying Wake, overall season and then including FSU. Sorry. Yeah, I may have said that uh, that way. But no, so that would be including the first two weeks and only the first two weeks for Wake. Uh, typically, Chris, they'd be more in that 25, 30% range for man-to-man in previous years. Uh, keep in mind, they've played a pretty vanilla schedule up to this point and, and didn't change up a ton. But still, regardless, they've played against man-to-man, FSU man-to-man more than they had. Uh, Jacksonville State, same deal. They did a lot of uh, soft coverage and just forced FSU to beat them. They just couldn't bait, beat them. Now, Kenny Dillingham has come out and said, you know, we got to you know, do more things like some crossing patterns, some man-beaters, concepts like that. But this, I think the thing that, that we need to now after seeing this team through three games and seeing against other teams and seeing outside the context of practice, as we recalibrate and look at what they have, what they don't have, there's not a whole lot of guys who can win one-on-one still. You mentioned that a few minutes ago, Chris. I think that's the thing that as a fan base understand the rest of the year, how hard that's going to be. It's not an excuse for the play callers. Like you have to be better in some areas. Like you mentioned before, Chris, just understand like there's no magical solution. You people after, after the first week wanted to see more McKenzie Milton, you saw him more. The week after that, they wanted to see more Jordan Travis. The next week, you saw both of them. People want to let – you're just going to – you're going to be chasing your tail after a while and kind of keep trying to chase it if you keep moving stuff around over and over again. It's on the staff, on the coaches to find out the few things you can do well, keep trying to replicate it, uh, and then build on it from from there. Uh, with that in mind, what do you think we see at quarterback this week, Reese? Got, hey, it's all good asking. Do we see Chubba on Saturday? I know that's what everyone wants to see. Former Louisville commit Chubba Purdy. Will he play against Louisville? They've used a lot of two quarterback system this year. I'm not entirely convinced they continue that on Saturday in the sense of I expect Mackenzie Milton to start. I don't know what the availability of Jordan Travis will be. He got banged up pretty well last week on the Hill Mary at the end of the half. And then when he got hit again in the third quarter, so that limited him in preparation this week. That's been kind of a consistent theme over the last month of quarterbacks being limited in preparation, therefore limiting their availability in games. You know, Jordan's greatest asset, you know, it hasn't been all that good this year, is his scrambling ability, his ability to make big plays out of nothing, backyard football, as I like to say. I don't know how much he's really capable of doing that after how much he got banged up a week ago. So uh, I'm a little hesitant to believe they're going to continue the two-quarterback system because I don't know on Jordan's availability. I expect McKenzie to start. I think Purdy is a backup, but I don't know that necessarily they infuse him into the game when the game is a game. If the game gets away from them or somehow it gets away from Louisville, which I'm not expecting, then maybe we see Purdy as a guy who gets a uh, drive or two in the latter part of the game for whatever reason. But I'm saying more so the second series of the game, I'm not sure we see Purdy out there like we've seen them do with Milton and Travis at different times this year. The Kush completion asks, were Demory Tate and Chubba Purdy bad takes? The two most promising recruits Norvell have signed have done nothing. Uh, listen up, KC, TKC. I, I think it's tough. Both of those guys didn't play last year or, or as much as uh, you would have liked them to last year for various reasons. Demory Tate was an academic redshirt. Chubba Purdy had the shoulder injury uh, at the beginning of, of fall camp, and that limited him to basically two games last season and not a ton of reps in practice during the course of the season. So it's still pretty early for both of those guys. Demory Tate is around. I know people keep asking about it. He's basically running with the scout team more often right now. 
against someone who was pretty raw and he lost a lot of time in this this past spring with injuries. So a ton of injuries and other reasons keeping these guys off the field from practicing a ton. Uh, that would explain why you haven't seen the ton yet. Yeah, would you like to see them more? Sure, I get it. They're both uh, high-end recruits, uh, both four-star guys, but uh, it kind of is what it is to an extent. Um, you don't want to force guys out there before they're ready. You can, you can, as Jimbo Fisher would like to say, or used to like to say when he was here, you can break someone before he makes someone. We're at two practices this week, Christopher. I have to be transparent. I said this last week. I thought that that last Tuesday's practice was concerning with the energy level. It seemed like the team was still kind of shell-shocked and, and I think kind of came out that way against Wake Forest. Granted, uh, early turnover, uh, some some untimely penalties that, that probably didn't go FSU's way. Uh, don't help with that, but, but FSU's never really comp- competitive in that game in, in the second half. This week, what did you see in terms of, of practice? Well, I wasn't there Tuesday, so you're oh, that's that right. Because I, I like the H back situation at home. But uh, Wednesday, I thought the energy was fine. I didn't think the offense was very good. Um, they struggled a lot of balls behind receivers, a lot of just bad snaps. For example, from Babyon, who's a guy you're relying on at center position, it just was an inefficient day for the offense. I didn't feel like they accomplished a whole heck of a lot. I felt like there was a lot of frustration on display both between players and coaches with the inefficiency of the offensive attack on the day yeah Wednesday wasn't particularly clean uh, like you said I don't think it was a bad energy day and we're learning that you're not always uh, able to translate you know what happens during the course of a week of practice into games uh, I will say last week I uh, did kind of translate over so we'll see this week I thought the Tuesday practice was the best that they've had in terms of just an energy and and uh kind of being a little chippy, a little gritty since maybe pre-Notre Dame. And uh, and I, I guess the GPS numbers, Mike Norvell said, kind of kind of ended up emphasizing, confirming that, that the guys were running around and hitting some max speeds and, and getting a lot of work in. So we'll see if that translates over to Louisville. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, the actual Louisville yeah. preview and, and what to look at real quick, Chris. Some official visits this weekend for FSU are potentially on the docket as of right now. Uh, any recruiting updates, anything worthwhile for, for our, uh, our listeners to know of? Well, Zach did a good job on the front page of previewing official visitors for football. Linebacker Wesley Bassaint's coming in, very important guy from Miami Central, four-star, longtime target for FSU. Him and his mom came up this summer, spent a lot of time with the staff. You know, they've worked very hard there. That's an FSU-Miami battle probably at the end of the day. West Virginia and a few others are in that mix, but it's probably FSU or Miami. The other young man coming up is Earl Little Jr., talented defensive back from American Heritage, teammates with Marvin Jones Jr., uh, Little's father played at UM. Miami's in this, but it's more so Alabama. That's probably the king of the mountain right now for Earl Little. FSU's going to swing their shot. The kid likes FSU. He definitely likes the staff. He's another one that got up here in the summer and actually spent several days up here in the summer, and they did a very good job. But at the end of the day, I just don't think it matters. I think he's going to end up wearing uh, with the Crimson Tide. So those are two official visitors for football. Hoops is also expected to bring two in. One is a Ford, Deontay Green, who's from North Carolina, talented kid that they've been on for some time. Uh, NC State's probably the main school to know there. There's a few others, UNC Wake, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, or some of the others there. He's supposed to decide either in October or November. He's definitely going to announce before the early signing period, which is middle of November. The other one coming in is Tom House. He's a bit more of a newer name. They've been involved for at least a few weeks, to my knowledge. Stan Jones is the main guy running that one. He's talked to Leonard a few times. He's also done a couple of zooms with the entire staff. He's a six foot five, six foot six wing, small forward type shooter, high level shooter, averaged about 17 per game for a state championship team in Ohio last year. 
He officially visited Georgia last week. He's a recruitment that's trended up continuously, dating back to the summer months. Obviously, evaluations were kind of on hold until the summer months here recently. So he's one of those that prior to June or July did not have a whole lot. Now he's got about 15 offers. Uh, when I spoke to him Tuesday, I guess it was, or Wednesday in the last couple of days, uh, I asked if he had been offered by FSU. I believe he has been, but I always like to ask the kid to kind of get that from them. He essentially said he really couldn't clarify that at this time until he took the official. So I'm pretty sure he has been offered, but he's one worth watching. It's probably going to be FSU in Georgia right now. As of right now, I don't know of any other visits planned between now and the early signing period for him. So those are guys to know. I think there's also some unofficials that Zach has covered. Obviously, we expect some more, but it's not a huge visit weekend. Um, you know, I think the next big visit weekend for FSU will still be the Miami game. And All yes, right, so- we love basketball for the person that brought that up. That was I'm me. Here for some hoops. I, I brought hey, it up. 40, 49 more days. It was me. I did it. I'm trolling you. You know what's open, Chris, by the way? Just opened two days ago. The hot chicken Plus? place? Oh. I know. I, I know Duncan opened. The hot chicken place. I don't know if it's opened yet or what. But what? There's kind of... a hot chicken place opening in ta- where? Yeah, it's, I think it's over in the Midtown Shopping Center where Red Elephant used to be. Like Red across Elephant? Four Rivers. Ah, uh, okay. All right. I saw. Um... What's the pizza place that Red Elephant allegedly ripped off? Uh, Barnaby's, Barnaby's closed, closed, yeah. closed down now. I wasn't able to do it for the pizza bracket. R.I.P. Barnaby's. All right, FSU, Louisville, FSU, looking for the uh, first one of the season. Seminoles are zero and three. Louisville two and one, coming off a dramatic win against the mighty UCF Knights. Uh, lucky, lucky game, lucky outcome for Louisville. Some BS ended that game. Uh, <laughs> Louisville opens up against FSU as a one point favorite. Now it's, I guess, depending on what sports book you want to use between 1.5, 2.5 points. So a little bit of movement there. Nothing crazy. Game's going to be at 3.30 p.m. here at Doak. Beautiful in Tallahassee right now. Expected to be beautiful weather for the game on Saturday. Uh, nice, cool day. Low 80s and, and uh, not a cloud in the sky. So we'll have that going for us, Chris. We'll, we'll have nice weather at the very least. So let's get into this. Well, when FSU is on offense, uh, what does Louisville do particularly well on defense? Who are some of their key key defenders to keep an eye out for? Well, they're not a great defense. They gave up 43 in their season opening loss, all miss. They gave up 35 to UCF, and it came up to a big pick six there late to make sure they preserved that victory. Yeah, so they're very crap. susceptible to giving up points. Um, I mean, some of the guys know Monty Montgomery's an interior linebacker for them. He's a tackle machine. He's a talented kid. I think he actually set a career high in tackles against UCF. Outside linebacker Yazir Abdullah is another one to know. He has two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks on the season. He's either tied for the team lead or leading the team in those two categories, 10 tackles through three games. Uh, they kind of have a front seven that kind of does it as a whole. Obviously, I already mentioned Abdullah and Montgomery, some others. Yaya Diaby, seven tackles. CJ Avery, 19 tackles with a sack. Jack uh, Fago has 15 tackles and a tackle for loss. Those are some of the names on the front to know. The most talented player on their defense is Keytrail Clark, uh, sophomore cornerback for them, talented kid, three picks on the year already. Uh, he's actually the one, if you're watching the Louisville game, he lined up a guy with his shoulder, hit him. I don't know if he got a stinger or what. He went out for a little bit. He did come back later in that game, but he's a pretty central figure of their defense. He's one of those guys that I think of FSU's having a day where they're having to throw it around the park a lot and they have to try to challenge him. He might make FSU very quickly pay. Another guy in that back half I would mention is Kendrick Duncan. He's a redshirt junior at free safety. He's the second best player in the secondary in my estimation. He leads the Cardinals with 19 tackles, including 18 solo tackles. 
but you don't always want your safety to be your leading tackler. That's not exactly a great sign for what you're doing. But, um, you know, the, they haven't been exactly killing quarterbacks through three games. Old Miss did a pretty good job of keeping uh, their talented signal caller clean, and Dylan Gabriel gets rid of it pretty quickly for UCF. So UCF's one knows that's pretty tough to kind of rack it up against. So I'm interested to see, sack number-wise, if this is a game where they elevate it, if FSU has to drop back a little bit more. But more so than anything, they're just pretty good at kind of clogging up the middle of the field. But they're not a defensive juggernaut by any stretch. If FSU's offense truly struggles to score points again this week, then it may be truly even more so than the first three weeks, a panic button moment for that offense. Yeah, Louisville's defense, I mean, to be fair, they like you said, they have put two of probably the, the top 20 or so quarterbacks in the country so far. So that probably you know, changes up the, the numbers a little bit. But uh, we'll see. They... I'm looking at some of the scheme stuff they do. I was watching them. I rewatched the UCF game before we started recording today. They do a ton of zone is what I noticed when watching. Um, they'll change up their fronts a lot, a lot of three-man stuff, and then they'll breed down the linebackers or extra safeties and kind of kind of pepper the gaps and 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 try to create a lot of pre-play, like uh, eye candy, confusion, and whatnot. But ultimately, like they, they drop into zone coverage a ton. About 80% of their snaps or pass coverage are in zone coverage, which is 19th nationally. So – uh, they give a lot of cushion and give you some passing lanes and, and some windows to throw into. Uh, be very interested to see if Louisville kind of goes with what the last two teams have done successfully against Florida State and do a lot of man and kind of buck their trend of what they normally do. Uh, I, I think you can run on Louisville. I think that's one thing as I'm looking at some of the numbers. Louisville's run defense is not very good. Again, they kind of go that three-man front and, and do some hybrid stuff with their, their second-level defenders. So, you can find rushing lanes. You can find creases. Both uh, Mississippi, Ole Miss, and and UCF had success rushing the football, especially as yeah. the game went on. That's the one thing. Like if you're looking for a path to victory, path to I guess tackling upset for FSU, I, I think you Treshawn Ward and Jay Sean Carver's got to be a pretty steady dose of them running successfully. So when considering their numbers, we've talked about the first and third opponents. Very talented team. Eastern Kentucky was a sandwich one to allow them to bring some of the stats back down. They've allowed an average of 27 per game, but they only allowed three in that second game. So obviously that number is much higher against significant opponents. 406.7 yards of offense allowed. That's 93rd in the nation. 162 rushing yards per game allowed, 87th in the nation. 244.73 the is 94th in the nation. They've allowed 67 first downs against them, which is 95th in the nation. One year that they have performed well defensively is getting off the field on third downs, only allowing a 25.8% rate, which is 19th. Uh, keeping in, I guess this is pretty related to FSU and, and its ability to run successfully because I think these two guys have to be present for you to have a chance at doing that consistently. Show Lord asks, do either of you did either of you two observe Maurice Smith or Robert Scott practicing this week? Is either expected to start? Well, technically, we cannot talk about uh, who we observed not practicing, but Chris did ask Coach Norvell about uh, the availability of those two. So, Chris, I'll let you. Uh, yeah, and he essentially said they're both working back. I think Scott's closer than Smith. I think both may try to make a go of it. We saw Scott attempt to make a go of it last week in pregame, but he was just so gimpy and uncomfortable on those feet that he couldn't do it. Both of his ankles pretty heavily taped last week. That's a continuing trend for him. I think Scott is going to definitely try to make a go of it. I think there's a fair chance we do see him on the field on Saturday. Uh, my question is how much can he play and how long can he withstand it? With Smith, I'm hesitant to expect him to play just based on – what we know leading up to this point, but I don't think it's completely a conclusion that he won't dress out. I think there's a chance he dresses out and tries to make a go of it. But I think, again, we're probably going to see Babyon as your starting center. Darius as the backup. 
But if they get in a pickle, can Maurice come in and help there where they don't have to move Darius and have a complete reshuffle of the offensive line, which they had to last week? That might be a situation that's in play. Last week they had to use three different offensive line groups. Darius Washington at one point was a left tackle, a right tackle, and a center. We also saw Zane Hearing come in and play some. He's not ready for the show at this point. It's just a matter of date. Offensive line-wise, they don't really have enough capable depth when they're dealing with injuries. Uh, Alex Atkins, the offensive line coach, the other day was asked if he's ever dealt with this many key injuries uh, any, at any point in the season, nonetheless, like three games in. And during his coaching career, he said no. And I asked him if he like knew how many different offensive line combinations they've used in games this season. He's like, I got a rough idea. He's like, I don't know the exact number. So that's how much I it think, is. It's I think it's count. like six or seven already. Oh, um, God, if you that. that. Well, we can sit and chart it, but I mean, some of that combination is limited simply by the amount of players available. Dante Lucas was obviously part of one of those combinations, but he's now gone. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen three different centers. We've seen Marie Smith, Bavion Johnson, Darius Washington. We've seen right and left tackles switch out. You know, Robert Scott and Darius are primaries, but we've also seen what Brady Scott at tackle at one point. I think we've seen Devontae Love Taylor at tackle at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the guards have kind of been interchangeable. Dylan Gibbons has played a good bit. Uh, Dante Lucas had a shot. Zane Hearing had a shot. Devontae Love Taylor's played a good bit. Brady Scott's worked in there. So, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably more than seven. but At least yeah. seven that I can think of off the top of my head. Seven's yeah. a safe a safe starting point. A lot is what we're getting to. Your three games in the season, you're already talking about shuffling guys around without a ton of like viable options either, right? I mean, like we've talked about that as well. We've reached a point where Zane Hearing's capable of playing in the sense of might be necessary, but he's not ready. Lloyd Willis is another one who's on the verge of that same stage as Zane Hearing, but again, not really capable of probably helping you a whole lot this year. He's not quite ready for showtime. It's just a matter of those guys need a maturation period. And sadly, FSU can't afford that because of the fact that depth isn't good and the injuries keep piling up. J-Rod asked, did Lucas officially enter the portal? Did he, Chris? I don't think Hummer has, Chris Hummer, who works for 24-7, I don't think he has told me yet that Lucas is in there officially. Fully expect him to do that, though. All righty. That's a hell of a thing. Um the offensive line depth uh, oh, so early in the season for that. Um, let's go to the other side of the ball. Maybe make you feel a little bit better, Christopher. Make me feel a little bit better. Um, well, I mean, Louisville's <laughs> offense is why you should feel uneasy about Saturday. If Louisville is going to win, it's going to be because, one, good Malik Cunningham shows up, and, two, Louisville runs a spread with a lot of different philosophies that they use to the edge. They kind of they'll, they'll outside zone you. They'll stretch you. They love making you play sideline to sideline. Mm-hmm. They're going to set up shot plays. Um, when Cunningham is good, for example, the UCF game, they're a really tough offense to deal with. When he's bad, which to some degree he was against Old Miss, they, they're pretty stagnant. Their running back is Jalen Mitchell. He's actually from, I believe, the same high school as Corbin, if I recall correctly. He's a Florida kid, talented, big, firm back, good running the ball, but he's not Javion Hawkins explosive, if you remember last year's game. They don't really have a receiver that's equivalent to Tutu Atwell, who obviously torched FSU last year, as we all remember. Um, you know, so far this year, truthfully, Marshawn Ford, who's kind of a tight end hybrid receiver, he's a big body. He's an H-back, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. He's a big body wide receiver that they use in a variety of ways. He really lines up like a tight end a lot of the time. So he's been the most popular receiver. He's got 13 for 156 and a touchdown. A lot of that came eight for 100 and a touchdown against UCF, which was a career game for him. Cunningham on the season is 60 of 98 for 734 with three passing touchdowns, two picks. Also has 42 rushes for just over 200, but has scored six touchdowns on the ground this season. 
He's ranked fifth in the nation for rushing touchdowns right now. Um, you know, he, he's dangerous with those legs. He can kill you. That receiving core, they got a lot of guys. Uh, Amari Huggins-Bruce, Jordan Watkins, Josh Johnson, Justin Marshall, Braden Smith. But nobody's really emerged as the guy. Um, Justin Marshall and Braden Smith are both more veteran types. Marshall has six for 83 in a touchdown. Smith has seven for 36 in a touchdown so far this year. I think it's fair to expect one of them maybe to be the kind of primary type we look for on Saturday. The Huggins-Bruce kid has 174 on his receptions, seven receptions, 24.86 per catch. I think he's got a 90-plus one in there, so that inflates those numbers. Jordan Watkins, another freshman like Huggins-Bruce, nine for 92, and then Josh Johnson has nine for 90. He's a sophomore. So that that group, uh, you know, if I if I had to pick a guy to be concerned with other than Marshawn Ford, I'd probably go with Braden Smith. I think Braden Smith is probably the second most talented receiving type they've got on that team. I was just going to add to a couple of points Chris had We're talking about schematically what Louisville does. He mentioned they, they really want to stretch you sideline to sideline. Like they love that the the stretch run concepts and they do a ton of uh, play action stuff outside of it or off of it. Excuse me. They have 22 passing attempts uh, from rollouts or scrambles. They're fifth nationally uh, in amount of play action rollout passes they have. So that again, you're trying to, trying to get a defense in conflict and then you're trying to get Malik Cunningham to the edges where he can make a, make a decision, either run or throw uh, off a of play action. It's a big part of what they do. Uh, they run above average amount of crossing patterns, running back flares in. So again, a lot of crossing stuff where you're getting nice either to the sideline off of play action, or then you're bringing it back in. Not a ton of vertical shots. They don't, they don't really stretch the field vertically. Part of that's Malik Cunningham. Uh, doesn't have a huge arm, uh, but he is able to, to every now and then make some, some impressive throws. Just not there all the time. Uh, they, they will are try to set you up. They will try yeah. to set you up though for a vertical shot. The, they don't go to it often, shots. but they will take them. Yeah, they'll take their shots. They are just a, a slight below average in amount of actual like go in, in in post patterns nationally. But yes, they will do it, and, and it's based off of their play action game is what they're trying to set up. Um, if you watched App State when they were really good under Satterfield, mm-hmm. that's what this Louisville's offense is trying to be with Malik Cunningham, who's a more athletic quarterback than anything he had at App State. So one thing that stuck out to me one one metric that was interesting is Louisville is 122nd nationally in yards before contact per carry uh, basically they, they get about a yard per run before there's contact I don't know if that's a, a matter of just with that that long zone stretch scheme where you're trying to kind of you know get to the perimeter and that allows for for quick penetration sometimes as well but there's gonna be a ton of pressure put on FSU's linebackers both to stop the run and then to kind of be cognizant of, of the crossing patterns the ends uh, and the, some of the the play action, your rollout, brute leg stuff that's going to come off of it. That gives me a little bit of a cause for concern, Christopher. Uh, just uh, other than Kalen Deloach, there's just no one who's really shown at linebacker they can cover consistently this year. And and I got a little bit of anxiety thinking about st- slowing down that aspect of of Louisville's defense or offense. Excuse me. Yeah, linebackers always concern me. I think Kier Thomas is an essential player in this game because he is an edge setter type. I think it's extremely important that FSU's defensive ends are able to impress the pocket or at least hold the edge, but not get so far down and buried that Cunningham just shoots past him and gets to that second level and has a field day. J-Rod's J- calling for Cunningham for Heisman, which he did uh, He did rip, rip apart FSU's defense last year. Uh, EC3 asked, why haven't we seen much Farmer? That's Josh Farmer, the freshman defensive tackle. Uh, he was dinged up. Uh, earlier going in the, into in, the season yeah going into the season so that puts him behind uh puts him behind the, the curve a little bit with some of the other defensive tackles so i expect him to be someone who's in the rotation by the end of the year 
uh, Sam Clark, Byron Sinone, over half of FSU starters would start on the top half of ACC teams. No, I think it's Sinone. Sinone. Yeah, that's a Sinone. You're, you're, you're handpicking a, a few guys there. All right, I think those are all the questions that I had uh, that people are asking. Um, let's get the prediction time, Christopher. You uh, you went with with your heart. You went with a bounce back win against Wake Forest last year, and this team ripped the heart out of your chest. I'll go first this time because I'm going to put my heart on the line. I think oh, FSU goes, you're going to be the optimist. I, and if not, Louisville, Bourbon, after the game, we'll get into a little stack junior uh, when I get home and after the writing's done. Yeah, I think FSU is going to win. I like what I saw at practice this week. There's still things to, to work out, but I think they're going to have their first dialed in, very specific game plan with a quarterback in mind. I think that uh, they know what they have to do running the football. I think Louisville is – I don't think – I know Louisville is not very strong stopping the run, uh, so there's no. going to be opportunities there. I, so I think, And I think some of your strengths match up well against Louisville's weaknesses. Uh, obviously, the variable, like how do you stop Malene Cunningham? Can you do it consistently? you got Keir Thomas and Jermaine Johnson. I think you can maybe potentially neutralize them. I don't know. I you got to win a game eventually. I don't think FSU is going to go 0-4. I think this is as good of a chance as any, maybe outside of Syracuse and UMass. Uh, Louisville has some quit to them. If you can get up ahead early, it gives you a chance. I think FSU is going to come out, play hard. I think that last week they were shell-shocked. This week had a little bit more grit, a little more energy. Uh, so that'll give them a chance. So I'm going to go FSU 30, Louisville 27. Win for the Knowles. I'm going with Louisville 34, FSU 21. I just don't have optimism about this game. I think FSU's defense is going to get made to look foolish again, disappointingly. Um, I think Malik Cunningham's a real thorn inside. I expect good Malik Cunningham and Tallahassee, not bad Malik Cunningham. Uh, the thing, if FSU's going to pull off this upset, it's going to be because the offense comes alive and puts enough together to score some points. I think it's a bit more of a shootout victory than a hold them down kind of victory. I just don't have optimism right now that the offense can do that. The offensive line also being banged up, as we've seen the last two weeks, concerns me quite a bit. I mean, Louisville is only averaging 1.67 sacks per game. That's 83rd in the nation, five tackles for a loss per game, 90th in the nation. It's not like they're exactly killing people in the backfield. But FSU also makes defenses look better sometimes, and that's more so my concern. I just I, – I don't know. I think that might be the moment that the wheels kind of fall off for this bunch. I'm, I'm pretty concerned about where FSU is. I didn't think the response at Wake Forest was particularly good, and some of the personnel issues in the sense of injuries, availability, depth, and also guys just making plays concerns me a great deal on the offensive side of the ball. I, I will say that, Chris, I agree with you that uh, you mentioned the wheels fall off. That that, And it's tough to think, like, you already got your own three. Like, three of your wheels have already fallen off. You only got one left before you you can't move at all, right, if you lose four. I, I do have that concern. If things go poorly for FSU, if you give it your best shot, if one, if you come out uh, if you come out lethargic and whatnot, then I, I think that's pretty telling of, of where this program is. But, you know, if you do come out with energy and I expect them to and you come out and you play hard and you're able to execute some things early on to where you're in the game, and then you're not able to finish and get a win. I guess I do have concerns, you know, about where the, the team goes and if guys start kind of folding in. But we'll see. That's why they play the games. Uh, my, my thought is still I think FSU finds a way to win this one uh, based on what we've seen in practice this week. I just think there's a little bit more energy. Um, I think the Kenny – or sorry, the Kenny Dillingham revenge tour starts starts this week. I think the office will be a little bit more dialed in. I think the McKenzie Milton Heisman campaign, Chris, oh, starts God. this week. Calm yourself. Go Knights! Go Knights! <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Thanks to everyone for participating, for being part of the podcast, asking questions, uh, following us here on our YouTube stream. Appreciate it. Chris, thanks for taking some time out. I know it's been a busy day for you. Uh, yeah, this has been On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. Uh, join us on Saturday evening. Josh Newberg will have a live instant reaction, uh, kind of a call-in or write-in show where you guys can participate with him right after the game. We'll have our normal podcast as well after Chris and I kind of get settled in and finish covering the game. J-Rod, thank you. I see thanks, fellas, there. You're welcome for sure. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Brendan Snow for Chris Nace on the bench. We'll talk to you next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.